welcome to Various Things. I'm Gary Lama. Today's episode is a little bit different than our normal episodes. Today's guest is Tim Towsley. We last talked to Tim back in 2017 about his experiences working as a teacher, teaching high school students, a job he had been working for over a decade. But in the last five years, some things had changed. Tim had become demoralized by the roles he was expected to fill and deeply affected, like any human being would be, by the issues he was witnessing among the students he was tasked with instructing. And it took a personal toll on Tim, resulting, as many situations lead to, with him turning to alternate ways to cope with both the stress and emotional toll of the work, in his case, by turning to alcohol. This is a timely episode, not only because of the pandemic and our current awareness of the demands put on teachers and others we deem essential workers and the absolute importance we see in the roles these folks play, but also here in Virginia, where in the past few days, our new governor has issued orders directly affecting and restricting teachers from repealing and banning the protective mask order, which effectively puts teachers at risk of contracting COVID-19, to the banning of teachers instructing on things like critical race theory and the establishment of a tip line to report any teachers who violate it. It's a stunning switch that has occurred at a time when teachers are overextended and most vulnerable. It's a switch that speaks to the divide in this country and the tone deafness and inherent class biases that politicians and citizens of this country show towards the folks tasked with holding it all together. And the latter of which, in Virginia especially, the former capital of the Southern Confederate States, it signals a refusal to accept and to even discuss the systemic biases that have benefited and continue to benefit white-skinned Virginians from hundreds of years ago to the present. So with that, I'm excited to share Tim's story of his journey from being one of the teachers tasked with making up for the multiple failures of the system around us and his struggle and success in gaining back his own life and mental health. Here's our conversation. When the pandemic started out, you were teaching high school, right? So this might be where I need to like back up a bit, right? So, so this is going to get like personal, but I don't think that it is unique to me, right? I think that there's, there's some degree of this, you know, across education, uh, nursing, um, any kind of like public service job where people are overworked, not necessarily paid what they're worth or what they can live off of. But like um, you see like a high instance of trying or incidents of trying to like disassociate from, from that. Right. Right. So, so when I got into teaching and like, you've known me long enough to know that, you know, when, when we met, I was like, basically straight edge and like didn't drink, didn't do any kind of, you know, drugs or anything like that. And then, you know, I I started teaching and like, you know, three years in, I started drinking and I became a terrible alcoholic. I mean, you knew this, you lived with me, you saw this shit all the time, like the self-destructive behaviors that I would take on and that I would do because I was trying to like turn my brain off from everything I was thinking about and trying to balance and all of the decisions that I had to make and like all of this stuff that I did for the benefit of, of other people's kids. And then like all the shit that I would get for it. I had a letter in my personnel file because I was like teaching some kind of communist agenda. And what was I doing? I was teaching a comic book where a girl admired 
Karl Marx because he wanted the servants to be able to eat at the same table as, you know, the ruling class or whatever. And this girl wanted to be able to eat lunch with her family servant, who was also her good friend, right? Which oh my seems like a kind of a decent thing. But no, because right. this comic book had a picture of Karl Marx in it, I was somehow pushing this communist agenda. I'm just like, what? I'm not pushing that. But realistically, what are you arguing here? A girl wanting to be able to eat lunch with her friend, but because she's of a different class, like you think that there's some kind of threat to that? I, it just it, it's wild to me. And like that was that was like ten years before I left teaching. And there's like another incident or five or ten every year of my teaching career. I would just get so. I don't want to say burnt out because that's not even it. I would just get like constantly defeated, constantly defeated by, 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 yes, exactly. Demoralized because I wasn't fulfilling every individual's parent's idea of what they should be learning. And I'm not even teaching it. I'm just exposing them to that idea saying, here's this idea. Let's talk about it. I'm not telling you how to feel about it. I'm saying, let's talk about it. And and it, it just got like it just got to this point, and I kind of saw you know the writing on the walls, and it's like now I'm looking at all these things about like people wanting to ban critical race theory, which we know kind of isn't really taught, but you know banning anything that makes people feel uncomfortable. Like what? You're not learning in that system. You're not learning anything in that system. So anyway, that's why I, I I started drinking, and it was like terrible. It was terrible. I would take I was taking like really poor care of myself you know, letting my mental health like completely deteriorate. And like, I was at this point where I was like, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta stop drinking or it is going to kill me. Like all the reasons why I never drank in my twenties or teens. And, you know, I never, never messed with it. Like all of that stuff started coming true. And I was just like, wow, I'm totally addicted to this. It's like, taking over parts of my life. Like when I'm not drinking, it's like, I know that it's not something I should be doing, but like, I'm going to go to it. And it's like that, it's like that total, like addictive personality to try to like turn off all of these other things that I was like fighting against. And most teachers that I know have problems with alcohol, right? Pretty much all of them. And, and it's like, there were things where it's like, okay, like, it's graduation. Let's go out and celebrate. What do we do? We go drink and we drink so much that it's like a problem. And we're really just like turning off a lot of that stress and stuff that we carry. And I don't mean to say that this is every teacher by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of teachers I know have substance problems. They're, right. they're generally pretty high functioning, but it's like they're, they're, we're, we're turning stuff off. So that's what I did. I turned off alcohol. I took away that thing that, that kind of made me able to turn off my brain and like not have to deal with the stresses of of a job that is super hard. It's just super, super hard. And I don't think that very many people understand that. And I think that, you know, with the early pandemic, you had people that were like, Oh, teachers, there are heroes. They can do literally anything and like kind of reevaluate and adjust to, to take on, you know, to make the best of the situation. And it's like, you had that moment for a minute and then it was like gone again. And now teachers are evil because they want to like teach about how racism is bad. <laughs> it's like, what, <laughs> what, what happened? What happened in that little stretch? But, you know, I got, I got to this point 
you know, and this is another thing that, that's personal, but I think that other other teachers will feel it, is that I started witnessing, if you care about people, you know, you're going to listen to them and you're going to witness their struggles. And I think that it's, that it's human nature, especially if you're in a position as a teacher, because there's a lot, there's a lot of overlap between like teaching and parenting, right? You know, as a parent, right. you love your kid unconditionally. And as a teacher, it's not necessarily unconditional. It's not necessarily forced, but I mean, if you, if you have any sense of compassion in you at all, you're going to love the kids that you're dealing with, that you're helping out. Um, right. Otherwise you, you, who would do it? Cause you don't do it for the money. You do it because you want to like help people have this better future. And that has to come from a place of love. Now I taught high school mostly 11th and 12th graders. And you know, having been an 11th and 12th grader or, or of that age, um, you know, you know that there's a lot of stuff that happens with kids in that of that age group. And they're starting to figure things out. They're starting to like experiment with stuff. And, you know, they're making those bad decisions that they will learn from, hopefully, right. you know. Um, but a lot of them are making bad decisions that they, they can't bounce back from. And, you know, I... I got to this point where I was like, you know, totally sober and I was taking on this like emotional stress of other people because I felt like inclined to help, even though it wasn't necessarily my place, nor was there really anything I can do about it. And, and we're talking about, we're talking about like kids with like addiction and I've had plenty of kids that are, you know, addicted to pills, addicted to, to, you know, heroin, addicted to all kinds of things at a very young age. I mean, I've had students who've overdosed. I've had to go to students' funerals for, like, bad decisions that they've made. And it's never not heavy. And without having that, you know, that numbing that came from alcohol, I was just, like, taking it all in. And while processing all that, it, like, put me in, like, a super dark place where it's like, okay, there's, I can work super hard and not help these kids and like watch them, you know, suffer and struggle and like really not be able to assure them that things are going to get better. Right. It took like saying it out loud in therapy, like my job is killing me. My job is taking years off of my life. And it took saying it out loud in therapy that I need to leave teaching. I need to do something else to come to that realization. Because, like, I had let my, my job, I had let my, my career become my identity, you know, and I lost a lot of the things that really did make up who I am, you know, and I found that it was affecting, like, my relationship with my family. It was making it so that I couldn't see my friends, and, like, it became, like, what I did, and it was just like eating me alive. And I think that that is something that so many educators are feeling right now that it's like, it's this like Sisyphean task of like pushing the giant shit ball up the hill only to have it roll down the next day. And you'd have to start all over. So unlike a lot of teachers, the pandemic actually kind of saved me. It helped me a lot because it forced everybody to kind of readjust their priorities so having schools close gave me the moment or the pause to be able to like handle my own stuff. And it's like, okay, 
I need to reprioritize things. It's like put put me in this like position where I was able to like do the things that I needed to do, like read on my own for pleasure, you know, go out and like do some hiking and like get out in nature and like reset my brain. Whereas like before when I was teaching, I was like at school 10, 12, 14 hours a day. And then like I needed every moment of my weekend to just like recover and prepare to do it all again. I just felt like I was like this shell of a person. And it's like, look at this now. Like the, 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 the teachers are leaving the profession in masses. Teachers quitting, resigning mid-year. Like the incidence has gone up. Like I think it's like 150% from last year. People are leaving because they're not getting the kinds of supports that they need. Or they're trying to teach from a place of love and compassion and making this world a better place. And they're having, you know, laws come down and saying, no, you can't do that. You teach to the test. You check off the boxes. Absolutely nothing divisive, nothing controversial. You cannot make any students feel uncomfortable by having to read and think. And it's like, oh, okay, then what is my purpose? What is my purpose here? And like, I was just so defeated by all of that. And then on top of that, like watching these kids struggle with like addiction, mental illness, depression, that was like a big part of my thing. When, when we did come back to school and we were teaching online, I'm like, look, we can't pretend that everything's normal because nothing is normal right now. Right. Sometimes just showing up is all you can do. And like, these are kids they have no idea like what is really going on. They just know that like, Oh, I can't, I can't go to school. I can't play sports. I can't see my friends. I can't go to the prom or things that like mean a lot to most kids. They can't do that. They have that denied from them. And like they, they they were just like getting super depressed and super anxious because they didn't really know what was going on. And it's like, I think that there's been a huge rise in like social emotional learning and understanding that if students aren't, uh, if their, if their emotional needs are not met, then they can't actually meet their physical needs and grow and learn. Um, Mm -hmm. So there, there has been, I think a lot of, of well-meaning effort to address some of that, but they, they still need to work out a lot of bugs with that because you can't have this like, compulsory idea that says, okay, you need to feel better. We're all going to feel better by talking about our feelings. What does that even mean? It's like, you have to kind of like have this approach to it where you're very deliberate about it. Very understanding. You have to do it from a place of empathy and a place of equity. That is so challenging when you say, okay, teachers, you got to do all of your regular job. And then here you have to be an expert in social emotional learning. Oh, you're struggling by the way. Well, you have to do that on your own time. You know, it's like, right. wow. Talk about dehumanizing. It's like, you can't even feel the feelings that you're feeling in this really effed up situation. And then I know for like Richmond city schools, then, then you have this, this area that teachers have to worry about just about the stability, like the, the home oh, stability. Yeah, you know, like that is I, from what I've gathered for sure. talking to Richmond teachers, like eighty percent of their job checking up and making sure stability of mm-hmm. the student itself, like with the home environment. No, for sure is met. I, I mean, there's Richmond, a, it's, it's not just it's not just in the city. It's like it's yeah. like everywhere in our in in our state and really in the country. There, how many like what percentage of students go to school? 
because they know that they can get breakfast and lunch there. And that right. was why, you know, even during, during the pandemic, when schools were closed, they knew right. that schools were such a huge part of food security for families. Yeah. That is a huge responsibility that is placed on the backs of schools and teachers to handle that in addition to all the other things that they have to do just to teach someone, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, it's so draining. And it's like, and you do this for what? $40,000 a year. (laughs) Break that down. Oh yeah. That's, you know, $15 an hour. I was like, yeah, that's 15, $17 an hour. If I was only working 40 hours a week, (laughs) why haven't wages gone up for teachers? It's easier to replace a teacher than it is to like pay them <laughs> and, and increase their wages because it, it, it's, it's all, it's all like, it, it sucks to say that, but, but, it, but it's so true. It's like, I, I, so I left, I left teaching after 18 years and my exit interview was seriously a Google form. And it said, are you leaving because of struggles with mental health? And I was like, yep. I thought, okay, maybe somebody's going to follow up. Nope. <laughs> Nothing. Not not one single like follow-up question. It, it's like, "Oh, you left great. We'll post your position you know, tomorrow and we'll hire somebody the next day." <laughs> it's like I it's like it all over again. so replaceable, you know, in the minds of like the the machine, right? And again, it's it's this is like a totally emotional response to it, but it's like it just got the sense that like, "Oh, okay, you don't like your job, leave." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, was like, I, had, I came to this point where it's like I had to do that, and and you know I, I'm still I'm still in education. I, I'm, I'm in it every single day, and, and hopefully, hopefully making a difference and making it better for somebody, not just the students, but for for teachers and and I and for, for our whole country. It's like we need to change the way that we approach learning, and yeah. the way that we approach the teaching of learning. So, so before, before I left teaching, you know, I I was looking for, you know, all these different jobs and most of them were like other teaching jobs or other jobs within education. And and it was kind of like, it was just interesting to see some of like the job descriptions and, um, you know, just to kind of talk about this moment that I think was, was really pivotal was I, I was looking for jobs and I, I reached out to to a friend and colleague that I'd worked with before and kind of like kept in touch with, you know, over over like the last decade. And right. I was like, hey man, you you're like super connected within teaching and like you you kind of have your finger on the pulse of like everything that's going on in effective, relevant education. I don't want to say progressive, but like kind of like progressive education, like what's at the forefront, what's, what schools are actually doing it right. And how can we model that and share that with other schools? It's like, where should I be looking for a job that's more aligned with my outlook on learning? And, you know, what, what I thought was just like a request for some kind of networking, you know, turned, turned into this, this idea, you know, and, and, you know, we, we just kept talking and talking and talking and he has, he's the, he's the, the president of an owner of, of this, this company. And he just sort of acts as like a broker for this work. And like, we all are this network of independent contractors 
that work for the benefit of education in different districts across the country. This is the president of the company, and he refers to everybody he works with as his colleague. Everybody. And it's just like, okay. It's not like, you know, my employees. It's not, right. you know, my my teachers. It's not my, you know, subordinates. Like, these are my colleagues. And that was so different from what I had heard in the last 18 years in teaching. It's yes. like... There was always somebody above you, and you all were always beholden to what that somebody above you thought was best. And I think that that so much of of the the struggles with education right now follow that same model. And it's like everybody's beholden to somebody else. And when you're talking about public education specifically, it's like the superintendent is beholden to politicians, the school board. The school board's you know beholden to, to politicians, and it's like. Wow. Okay. So like when you talk about the struggles of teachers and and, and I had to kind of take a step back and do this recently, but like the struggles of administrators, the struggles of superintendents, you know, there's a state in our country. I won't say which one, but like there've been several uh, superintendents who've committed suicide because they cannot meet these like irrational mandates and placed on them by their local governments. When we get to that point, it is a completely systemic problem. Yeah. Completely systemic. So, so then, you know, I, I was talking with this guy and I was like, okay, you know, he, he, he values me as an individual values my expertise, even though it's different from the expertise of, of other colleagues and other people that we work with. But he's like, look, man, we can, we can set this up and you can make a lot of change. And I was like, okay. You know, and I was a little bit worried about it because it required starting my own company. It required paying my own taxes, paying for my own insurance and all that, you know, and I've got three kids. You know, it's like there's a lot riding on that. And there's a lot of like security that came from having, you know, the insurance of being a public servant for how many people are in public service for much longer than they really feel like they should be because they get insurance or because they get, you know, retirement. So it was kind of it was kind of terrifying to like I was like, well, I got to do this. I got to do this or or I'm like literally going to die. You know, this is killing me. And, you know, I did it. And and here I am. You know, it's almost a year later since I started those initial conversations with them. And it's like, I feel really good about what I do. You know, we're trying to make schools better for young people and for, for the people that, that run schools. Whether we're talking about advocating for teachers, advocating for, for district administration, there are people in, in this group that advocate for superintendents, you know, and it's like, that's the kind of thing that we need is we need people looking out for people. Let us treat everybody, whether we're talking about students, teachers, parents, let's look at all of these people as people first and handle their needs as intellectual, emotional learners, not as people to fill these seats so that we can get, you know, state and federal money for the school. You know, let's not look at that. Let's, let's treat everybody as people. And and I, I don't know. It's It's been – I'm still learning a lot. There's a huge learning curve of how to, like, navigate these different territories, you know, and I, I'm never going to stop learning that. In fact, <laughs> so much of what we talk about is learning, <laughs> you know, right. learning partnerships.
It's not about education. It's about learning. And, and I think that learning is a process. Learning is something that is you're seeking out solutions to problems that you don't even know exist yet. No one of us can do that alone. And no one of us can do that following a formula that is in place just to collect data. So, well, so how do you feel? Like, is there a way to fix public schools? <laughs> yeah, turn it off. Stick it in rice for a few years. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think there is, but I mean, it's just like with any other kind of like systemic problems. It's like, well, you know, for one, let's not put it on the backs of teachers and and honestly it's not even teachers it's like cafeteria workers to to make all of this food to distribute to the people who are food insecure all of that comes from people who who are not making a living wage you know by being a teacher and qualified for for you know public assistance on things you know right. my kids got free and reduced lunch on my teaching salary but like, think about that. Like, I was doing okay. I, I was getting by, but there are people in public schools that m- make less than that because they're right. looked at as like less than because they're cafeteria workers and custodians and like all these people that are really doing everything that they can to solve a problem that wasn't of their creation and it really is not their responsibility to solve it. But that's because right. that's how we've just distributed those resources. So, I mean, I don't think that it's like, how do we fix school? It's like, we've got to figure this out and fix it as a country. And, and, and I don't know. That's where the glass gets super half empty because I'm just like, wow. Like, relying on people to be compassionate, that's hard. We can't, we can't expect that of people. I mean, it really seems you know, like the problem might be the way we view education like as mm-hmm. as people in the society because like if you look at somewhere like Richmond where they have you know the housing insecurity issues they have the food insecurity issues like you know mm-hmm. I think it's like what, yeah. I think it's what, maybe it's called a tier 1 or something where every kid in the school in the school yeah, system yeah. gets a title lunch title 1 title 1 um yeah maybe five you know three or four different areas that theoretically you know if you're a government you'd address from three or four different departments but they're all mm-hmm. getting addressed basically by the teachers because of the failure mm-hmm. of those other departments to address them. Right. And right. so a lot of the reasons right. they don't get more funding to address that in the educational sphere is because, well, mm-hmm. obviously it's not their jobs. People don't want to give right. more money to, but right. yet the teachers still have to do it. Right. So they give they give more money right. to the police to handle the problems that come about because people are struggling with mental health issues and addiction. The police are not qualified to treat people for mental health and addiction. So they go in and treat it as crime. The right. same thing kind of happens with with teachers when, you know, teachers are called upon to 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 treat or to shoot mental health and addiction in young people so that they can learn those kids are not really getting the help that they need. And it's not through any fault of those teachers. Those well-meaning teachers are trying to help, but they're not instructed in social emotional learning. They're not, they're not therapists, you know, they're not. And and honestly, like, you know, to that point is like, well, okay, don't schools have guidance counselors to help with that? Sure. 
But you know what guidance counselors spend 99% of their time doing? Filling seats, scheduling people, talking to them about what classes they're going to take, talking about how they're going to get into college. And it becomes so much more about like, let's fill seats. Let's make sure kids are graduating to keep our numbers up. And, and wow. like, I'm not saying that they don't care for people because they certainly do. But if their role is to make sure that, that the people in that building are, are, are getting their, their needs taken care of, like physical, mental, emotional needs taken care of, they can't also be registrars and schedulers and all of these other things. So it's like just like teachers and counselors and principals and assistant principals in the administration. It's like we're all spread so thin because, you know, we have to take on these tasks that are not necessarily in our areas of expertise, but we still have to do them or else they won't get done. You know, the, the thing I would think that people would learn from the pandemic is that how connected we are. If, if nothing more than just oh. on the viral spread of the virus itself. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like it viral, has, yes. Yeah, it, 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 it's crazy when you think about all this stuff that's happening. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the plight that's been put on, the, you know, what have been deemed as essential workers, these people mm-hmm. that, you know, we basically just count on for the world to run, you know, like nurses, teachers. Mm-hmm. The people that we all depend on for our day to exist, basically, um, mm-hmm. you know, those are the folks that they end up having to kind of externalize their own problems and not deal with them. And that becomes part sure. of the job. And that sounds like what you were having to deal with. Or hide them. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Bur- bury them in alcohol. That's what I did. I can't be my best self. And, and actually, like, be the best teacher that I can if I'm dealing with personal struggles. Yeah. And and a lot of that comes from, like, not putting forth those boundaries or, like, not being able to because, like, you're told that, oh, well, you know, you can do this or you can, you know, find a different job, not have this job. It's like, whoa. Okay. Right. So So it's like I can't take care of myself because I have to do this. And it's like, oh, wait. You know, teachers are struggling and they're starting to quit. Let's do some like social emotional things with with teachers, and it becomes like I remember this moment where where we were we were in uh, like a staff development thing or maybe in like a department meeting or something like that, and you know we had somebody who would come in there and like lead the entire faculty through this meditation, and it's like I don't know I don't know what your spiritual practices or whatever practice with meditation, but like. I don't know about you, but I cannot do that when I am told I have to do that. And I cannot do that in a room full of 130 people that have other things that they need to do. When I have other things that I need to do, I cannot disconnect and focus on like my mental health and, and, you know, just like the whole Zen meeting of life and that moment where you process that on a very personal level. I can't do that. On, on command from somebody else with other yeah. people that are really just thinking about that next thing that they have to do. It's addressing an issue, but not effectively you right. know, so that we can say, Oh yeah, we're trying to take care of teachers. They're just not getting anything out of it. It's their problem. So, and the crazy thing is I would say yeah. that we probably need to teach boundaries and stuff in school, but I'm realizing as I'm talking yeah. to you about this, that that would just take away from the food security and the mm-hmm. fucking housing security 
And and then, you know, by all means, the fucking SOL thing that the kid has to fucking yeah. learn. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff needs to be happening in the home. And I, I think yeah. it's actually, like, when we see schools and teachers suffering, it is because of two things. One, it is because the, you know, kind of bureau- bureaucratization Bureaucr- I don't even sure how to say that bureaucratization yeah. of the schools. But the flip side yeah. of that is if you are overstressed and having to work past your means, then you're in the same mm-hmm. kind of dilemma that you were as a teacher, except now your job is being a parent. And it's mm-hmm. hard to do prescriptive things when you're struggling to just get the food on the table, get everyone taken care of to bed and to school the next day and you're asked to work again. It's yeah. hard to do anything um, additive. Uh, totally. Preventative. You know, and <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's very interesting, you know, because I assume some of these teachers also, I mean, and you, you yourself included, you're coming home from this job and then having to be a parent on top of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And And, like, honestly, like, not being very good at any of those things. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Because I had to be committed to like everything else. It was just like, but I think, I think that this is something that like everybody's kind of feeling right now. Yeah. And, and it's something that like we need to address and not, not even like as a nation, but just like as, as a people, right. right <laughs> we right. need to understand that, that like, you know, other people are suffering, other people are struggling, other people are trying to find balance and like, make meaning of it to a point where some things are going to have to be taken off of their plate some they're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to like you know take care of other parts of their lives and we can't we can't fault them or vilify them or 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 relegate them to some kind of lower social standing or treat them as less of a person because they need to do those things And that concludes my interview with Tim Towsley. You can find this and other episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most places where podcasts are streamed, as well as at our website, variousthingspodcast.com. This has been Various Things. Thanks for listening.